As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Good morning, sheep fans. Cammy's the name, sheep's the game. I'm a 31-year-old sheep farmer from southwest Scotland. I'm based here in Ayrshire, running about a 1,000 sheep total. And I have a YouTube channel that's all about sheep called The Sheep Game. What a way to start the show. That was Cammy Wilson with his introduction that he would normally give to his YouTube films. He's quite a famous YouTube influencer now, is Cammy, And I'm delighted that he's going to join me for this podcast alongside Marion McCormick, Neil White and Rory Christie. What is absolutely at the root of good health is good food. And food is effectively medicine. You attach the relevance of what British Scottish farming does to that well-being of our nation. Then you build a nation from the ground up, literally from farming up to having good well-being. I think at the moment, the uncertainty, I I would say more than the weather, more than the weather in the market, it's actually everybody's sort of asking, well, where are we going with this? And I think we have to, you know, they say about trees, putting the right tree in the right place. Well, I actually think farming's about that. It's about putting the right crop or the right animal in the right place. We should have a national food strategy map. We have a network that can take their primary produce, have it converted and be sold locally. I firmly believe that's the way you know, in terms of local markets, local miles, and we've got the potential to do that. I'm just running about doing the things I do anyway whilst holding the camera, and and people seem to enjoy it. I contract shear, and at the moment I'm just in the door actually, contract scanning, uh, pregnancy scanning for sheep. Before this, I was a police officer for 12 years, If I'm honest, it's thanks to the YouTube thing that I was able to resign from the police in October and just focus on being a sheep farmer because this additional support that comes from the YouTube thing helps keep the farming side of things going because I'll rent about a thousand acres here in Ayrshire and being totally honest, you couldn't make that pay. My accountant calls me a busy fool, which will not be far wrong. It's Monty here for this episode, as you probably guessed. The whole evening when we recorded this just turned into a chat and a chat about the really pertinent issues in Scottish farming. So I hope you enjoy it. You might not hear very much from me. I'm going to really let you just listen to what our guests had to say. Hello, everybody. I'm Marion McCormick. I hail from Oban, Argyll. I was a buyer with Aldi for nearly 20 years. I'm now on the Scotland Food and Drink Board and uh, do a lot of work with uh, the RET organisation in Scotland and I co-own a small uh, confectionery company out of Glasgow, which I'm glad to say is furnished with um, British sugar beets. 
British dairy products and I'm delighted to be here with you all. I'm Neil White. I'm I'm farm at Greennow Farm. My great-grandfather came into Greennow Farm in 1913. We were fishermen and butchers and then we took over the farm as tenants. And then through the years we bought this farm and, and another small acreage that um, we used to rent from my uncle. So we farm combinable crops, oats for Quaker, barley for beer and whiskey, and then wheat, which quite a lot goes gets made into spirit, and then animal feed and Nahayarisic oilseed rape. You're going to be our, our honourable guru in this panel. A better turn to my last guest. He's we've we've had him on the programme before, so you, you listeners will be kind of familiar with Mr. Christie. But Rory, you better give a wee bit of an introduction, please. Yeah, an introduction. I was thinking about that. Who am I? Who am I? I'm a, I'm a dairy farmer, first and foremost, and a pig farmer. In truth be told, my brother's the pig farmer and, and a very good one at it. Uh, I farm 1,050 spring calving cows in southwest Scotland. And we've, we've, I'm third generation. We've been through the cycle of uh, a rough ride and we've reinvested in our business and, and hopefully it's future fit. I'm also, because I'm a, I'm a super cooperator, I guess, and I'm now vice chair of SOS. And I also founded a little co-op called the Milk Supply Association, which looks after all the farmers who supply the Lactalis owned factory in, in Stranraer, where we all make cheese. And if I'm allowed to plug seriously strong in Galloway, then that's what our milk go, goes to do. Um, I'm also uh, a trained mediator, a conflict mediator. And I suppose you might wonder what on earth is he doing that for? And it's because there is so much conflict in agriculture. And I actually initially did it to improve my negotiating skills. And I found that in reality, what I needed to do was improve my listening skills. So that's me. Great stuff. So we've, we've heard a wee bit there from, from everyone and I'm delighted we've got them all on board. I guess, really, there's so much we could discuss. And I kind of narrowed it down, if you want to call it that, or maybe widened it out to a look ahead, a look ahead to where we might be as an industry, where you might be as individual businesses, 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. I'm quite interested in the contrast between what Neil said and what Cami said to start off with. You know, Neil, you said something like 1913 or something you've been on the farm since, is that right? Uh, not personally. I feel like that no. sometimes. But no, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. I did. And actually, you know, I've I've watched Cami's videos and he is very, very good at it. And, and it's a funny thing because I was almost... I was almost going to take that out of my introduction because I actually think it's more commendable what he's done coming in as a new entrant must be incredibly difficult and when you listen to what he's done it is very commendable you know I take my hat off to him because I've not been in that situation I started for a, from a very different point I mean I, that's just the cards I was dealt and uh, and I've still probably trying to do the same as him trying to grow my business and trying to keep it relevant to, to what people are looking for but yeah I, I'm probably 100 years ahead <laughs> <laughs> yeah at least at least but no I appreciate that Neil uh, nice to say but you're bang on like we're although we're at very different stages we're both trying to do the same thing I imagine we're all trying to do the same thing and like for me like I've been very lucky I know I've been lucky because well partly the area I'm in in Ayrshire grass here is cheaper than you know, probably up Perthway if or Fife, you know, you're trying to get into farming there. I believe it's a bit more expensive to buy, you know, to rent ground. So I'm fortunate that way. I'm fortunate that through sheep shearing and the networking that that provides, I've 
been made aware or came across opportunities that have set me up really well. For me, it's like I'm right into like perspective of all these things. Like I could look at somebody like yourself, right? It's farming. I'm at, oh, he's got, oh, he's so lucky. You know, he's got a farm and he's got all this stuff and stuff. But then there'll be some somebody five years younger than me looking at me going, oh, he's got all these sheep and he's got like, and I wish I was like that. So it's all about perspective. You know, there's always somebody looking. Like, I, yeah, I wish I had a thousand acres or whatever to farm, and but it's all about your own situation, eh? and you've just got to keep pushing forward, and that's that's the fun of it for me. Like, Go back to what you said earlier, though, and you've, you've mentioned the figure a couple of times, a thousand acres, and, you know, we're, we're not on this programme to be the typical moaning farmers, but you did, you did say a thousand acres, and even at that, it wouldn't make a living without your YouTubing. Do you want to just give that a little bit of sort of further kick around the explanation so my type of farming isn't really a fair representation like i'm a real believer like my system i'm not saying it's unusual because there's a lot of people but to have a thousand acres all in seasonal lets like none of it's fixed for more than 12 months ahead means you're paying a bit more so i think it's fairly understandable that you're not going to make you know money out of that really that said if land prices stay the way they are i do believe i'll i'll, I'll do quite well next year um, because I've nearly doubled the breeding sheep, so I think I'll be okay next year, and, and it will make a turn. But my thinking behind it is, it's not about making money, or this side of my farming business isn't about making money just now, it's about building a stock of ewes, so that if I get an opportunity, like a, a good friend just got a 20-year lease on Nyla Butte, a 1,400-acre farm through the Mount Stewart Trust, which is a fantastic opportunity. Emma Gray got another farm just along the road from him, a similar opportunity, 700 acres. So if the chance comes for this and I'm doing an application it's like right here's my 850 breeding sheep bought and paid they're there ready to move on to an opportunity when it comes so if I can keep that all ticking over and my shearing and my scanning keeps the lights on and keeps everything else ticking over then I'm quite happy I'm I'm falling into this kind of position of let's say like a typical farmer but like I love what I do like when I left the police last year I was 30, I'm, 30, I'm still I'm 31 year old but I said to my gaffer when I left like I, I genuinely feel like I'll never work another day in my life if I can make enough money to pay my pickup, feed the ewes and keep the house going, I sound like such an old-fashioned farmer saying that. But I'm st- my mindset's totally changed over the years because when I first started in the police, we didn't have sheep. My dad was a shepherd and he sort of pushed me this way of, you know, there's no money in being a shepherd, which he's quite right. It's a lifestyle thing. You know, go and do something else. So I became a police officer because SNP were like, we're desperate, we need a thousand new cops, we'll let him in. So 18-year-old, I went straight out of school and, 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 and joined the police. It's a, it was a different mindset. It was, you know, you have to get the nice car on, on a finance deal. You have to buy the nice house and, and pay a dear mortgage. And then you need Fred Perry gear or whatever the fancy gear is these days. Like, it's, it's weird. It's, totally, it's like, and I, I genuinely, I mean this, I'm wearing a pair of tracksuit bottoms just now because I'm scanning every day on my joggies. I've been wearing them since the 3rd of January, every day. <laughs> like, and if that isn't it, if that isn't just the way to live your life. Uh, like, what a great lifestyle that is. <laughs> I think it's great to hear someone loving life and um, being so enthusiastic about agriculture. But I think Rory might have a challenge about that because Rory... I, I, I don't, I, I don't have a chance. I, I think what I would say is, I think the key thing I heard you say it really early on is that it's fun, and you're asking us tonight, Monty, what you know, what is the future? Well, unless the future's fun, nobody's going to want to do it. We talk about the well-being of, of the nation and we talk about everybody having a right to a really good well-being. And if you're, if you're having fun, then there's a fair chance your well-being's pretty good. 
and we need to make well-being for farming. It needs to be fun. It needs. To, and why is it fun? Because actually, Cammy, you're making a pound. You're making a pound, and you're growing your business. And your business model is different, okay? And and the different bit of your business model is your creativity with your YouTube, and that needs to grow. And you need to be proud of that, and not ashamed of that. Is absolutely part of your model. And we need to create that um, innovation throughout uh, many areas of what we're doing in agriculture. And if we can have that glass half full attitude that you have, then then we'll, we will succeed. We also need our government to put in an environment or help put an environment in place that allows us to take opportunities, use our, half, our, our glass half full attitude to innovate and take opportunity. So there's a whole bunch of things that need to happen to make us have fun or to allow us to have fun. I think it's quite good when you get people like Kami and, you know, my son follows uh, Ollie blogs, you know, and he has a huge following. And when you get people who are genuinely living it and doing it, there's a different sort of feel to those sort of videos. You know, it, it's not talking at you. It's just taking you through the process, warts and all. And I, and I think that kind of approach, you can't actually, you can't fake that and you can't, buy that you know you, you couldn't put together a production company to make that as well as as it's made just warts and all you know and and i think these people are actually encouraging more new entrants than any kind of other program probably could and when i say program i don't just mean tv or radio you know i, I mean legislative program you know I, I think i think people see that and sort of see it might be attainable and it might be something that you might enjoy oh not nearly like just when you're saying about tv but I, and I t- I, like i actually I totally think, yeah, that like, so, there's so many young people coming through and social media is such a good way to get to young farmers. I think we almost, and you guys will know better than me, but I think we almost had this wee generation gap where people probably just slightly older than myself, where it was like, go off farm, be a lawyer, be a doctor, get a profession as such, a qualification. But especially in the light of COVID and over recent years, folk have realised actually see working an office job 95 or 99 whatever the crazy hours are you know commuting living the town that environment all close together actually that's not that great a lifestyle it also helps that farming is probably in a better place just now again use keep me right here than it maybe was you know 15 20 years ago in terms of like people can work in farming or take on the farm and look to have a bright future and build things and move it forward an example i use is and i don't like to know it bbc farming life now, great show, like a, a, it's a good show. They look at, but I just find it very negative to watch. I just find there's, and and I don't, oh, don't want to upset anybody here, but I'll, there's always somebody greeting about how hard it is and how there's no money in it. And I'm thinking, see, as a young person watching that, why would I want to be a farmer? Everybody's upset. They're not making money. It's like, whereas I'd I'd like to be like, ah, you can make enough to get by, but it's a lifestyle. And Marion. You you know you've been the other side of the fence as you put it as a buyer as a supermarket buyer even as a consumer you know should they get away with sort of paying less as it were just because actually do you know what we can get away with it because these guys that are producing this stuff well they're enjoying it they're having fun so they're going to take less for for their projects absolutely not I I'm just I'm just listening on to Cami and thinking about you know all the things I do marketing wise or have done in the past, he's absolutely, you know, he's talking to a new audience that, you know, just in general, the farming stakeholders, quangos, government policy, are not really talking to too much. And I think they're finding, they're carving out their own way of creating a lifestyle. And thinking of consumers, you have to think of housewives and whatever demographic you might want to think about. 
there is a cohort of millennials that come through that have got a whole different value base from any of us in this call, except for Cammy potentially. Sorry, I know I look younger than I am. Um, but, um, you know, and th they think differently and their value base is more about, you know, the well-being of the animals or, you know, where it comes from or, you know, that we're, that those people are looking after where, you know, or they're building communities or, you know, and these things are hugely valuable. And I think that that's got a place when it comes to finally positioning your product and getting it where it wants to go. I do think, though, words of my words of wisdom are you've got to think where your product's going. Uh, and I was reading about Neil just about how you pitch your products and I think you've thought quite carefully about where your market is and I do think that's something you have to be alive to but in general broadly I think it's brilliant it's free advertising it's free PR it's going to be the lifeblood of the industry and diversification is a word in farming you know that loads of people are doing different things and you know it's like having a, a separate service industry that's just you don't actually have to have infrastructure you don't have to you know you have to have a camera and just be yourself and, and sell it and it's brilliant. Neil, you know, because all oh, these guys are having fun at it, they're they're enjoying that lifestyle. They're not looking for the, the the Fred Perry and what have you, as Cammy said. Then you know we can we can take the piss a little bit on price. That's you know that's <laughs> maybe maybe how it feels. No. Well, well, it it maybe feels like that, but I don't think that comes about because we're actually enjoying ourselves. I always. I've been in, you know, environments with lots of people who run businesses and uh, like everybody else here and, you know, fighting a farming corner. I just used to say, well, I run a micro business. I run a small business. You know, that's what I run. It, it's a family run business like lots of businesses you'll maybe see in your local town, you know, the shops and various different things. So I, I, I run one of those. I have the same problems, you know, cash flow, markets, all these sort of things that they have too so i think farming's in a in a strange situation too where we have this balance of subsidy being used sort of almost against us well you're getting a subsidy so we can pay you and we give away a lot of data i think people can calculate our cost of production because we have volunteered quite a lot of that data and we're maybe just a bit slow to that that side of things and it, it'll come again on the carbon side as well and the biodiversity side, there's going to be these audits and and who's going to hold that information and what are they going to do with it? You know, I'm I'm very wary of, of that coming in. I can see why it has to happen. And I actually think Scottish farming is in an amazing position. If we can get the right way of calculating that, I would like to see a world standard for that. And I tell you, I think if they had that, Scotland would be right up there and we could actually use it to market our produce rather than to beat us, you know, with it. You know, I, I feel we seem to be a bit scared of that. And I, I, as an arable farmer, I'm a bit scared of it because I don't, I'm a bit worried how they calculate it. And all the different things I've heard from various different farmers with all these different numbers, none of them are very favourable until you speak to, well, there's a couple of people who I've spoken to who are selling, trading carbon and they've got a different company. And, and they're coming out carbon positive. And my situation at the moment, I would probably be carbon positive, but most of the ones in Scotland who would calculate it would, would put me the other way. So, you know, I, I, think, I think there's going to be a great opportunity there, but I, I hope it doesn't dilute down like the other opportunities. You know, as I said, and, and everybody here is probably producing a product that the customer actually really wants. You know, and I'm, I'm beer and whiskey and spirit and oats and, you know, but I don't get a massive 
you know, my dad probably got as much for the molten barley 20 years ago almost. It's always just enough. You did some figures. Did you have some figures, is that right, about um, the treasury and, you know, how much the return on a hectare of, of barley brings into the treasury? Yeah, well, I had, I had Mary Goujon down on farm and she was kind enough to come down and it was just myself and my son who spoke to her. And just as she looked around the farm very briefly, but as she was leaving, I had a kilo of wheat in a bag. And I said, well, you hold that. And I said, if that, that's going to go away, and if it goes to Grant's, it gets turned into spirit. And I said, you potentially can get £4.20 in duty for that kilo of wheat. I said, I get 20 pence. And I said, do you know how much that costs in subsidy to produce? And it was less than a penny. So I was saying, you know, there's a good income there for the the government. There's a good income. You know, I, I'm squeezing a small margin out of my bit. But we put a lot back for that subsidy. You know, um, if we're talking about public good, you know, even in that small way, you know, I, I know it's predominantly environmental that we'll really be pushed on. But we are putting quite a lot back in there. It was something tremendous. It's, I think it was about eight nurses' wages per hectare. You know, it, it was a it was a colossal figure, which is something that you know we could we could mention a bit more. It does seem that we haven't um, we haven't done a very good job in marketing, and we don't as a nation really. I've watched uh, the Kiwis and I watched the Irish already come out and say we're going to be net zero by X. Uh, the Kiwis just changed the metrics to make sure they would be, and they changed the time scale as well, and their government backed them because the government values the exports and values the sales. At the same time, we haven't got somebody, you know, putting these statements like you've just made, these numbers, into, into language that people can understand. And we definitely, and it's, it's marketing. And we need to do more and more of that, and maybe, maybe Kami and his cohort of younger people who are good at communicating that worth, that benefit, that value that Scotland is, is bringing and Scotland's farmers are bringing we need, to, we need to look at a new way of delivering that value. I totally agree with you and all the, all the stuff about data. When I did the, the work on, I was part of one of the farmer-led groups for environment change, climate change, and there's 14 different tools to carbon footprint. I'm, I called for, and I'm calling for, one national system to, to carbon audit, and I would say for a national data steward as well, I think we actually have one and people don't realise how many people in the beef and sheep and the red meat industry don't realise that Scotty ID is farmer owned. They think it's a government quango. Scotty ID is owned by uh, the, the members of SOS, which are all cooperative farming members. And it's a massive data holder and data steward. It can keep our data safe and analyse it and mine it. And we need to do the same with our natural capital. And we need to bring all of these things together to make the metrics that we can use to promote, not defend, promote what the good stuff our industry does. That's the kind of thing we need to use to make farming in 20 years' time successful. Cami, how ready do you think your audience is for a little bit more of this sort of policy and, you know, almost maybe come across as a bit of a moaning farmer type thing, but how how ready do you think that kind of wider audience that you're now attracting is, especially as you say in the States and what have you, how ready are they to hear about, you know, Scotland and, 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 and the success of our agricultural industry as a carbon sink, etc.? Yeah, I, I'm just, the, the whole way, uh, the, the moaning farmer thing, I just, 
uh, try to see. I like what Rory touched. It's like not about defending what you do. It's about promoting. If you're going to promote something, you need positivity. Moving forward in the future, if you know, using the platform to to spread this stuff, I think it has to be a bit rather than like I see a lot of people on social media they'll have a go at vegans and stuff like that, and I'm just like it's just negativity with negativity. It's like I just don't feel it does any anybody any good. Like those kind of arguments, we should be more like here's our Scotch lamb running on grass on the hills here in Ayrshire or mostly nice lush pastures here in Ayrshire, but on 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 the on the pastures here in Ayrshire. It's a great product, you know, grass-reared Scotch lamb and beef, of course, as well, but I'm just speaking from the point of view of lamb. It's a great product and we just need to keep that positive message going. One aspect I look at things, and I, I don't know a lot about, I don't really get, um, I get a small bit of subsidy from a bit of rent from the forestry, so I don't really know much about subsidies and, and, and things like people running farming business would know. Does that, no, but you know, does that does that hinder you or does that, I, I would say perhaps that actually helps you. It's probably helped you establish a business on its own merit. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, and that. Like, I'm not worried. About, and I don't. I offend. I always watch what I say because I don't want to sound like, oh, it's all right for him to say, is the kind of saying. But, like, I'm not worried about what happens to the subsidies as such because it doesn't really affect me. So I don't comment on it. But I know there'll be farmers out there that if it changes the wrong way, they'll be crushed. And we talk about uh, mental well being and stuff in farming. Finance is like the biggest pressure on any of us you know you get relationships and other things that, that cause uh, stress and pressure but finance is the massive one in society in general even just you just need to look at like the heating bills the uh, the gas price that, that's wild the pressure that will put on people and, and the poorest people but going on a wee tangent there but so I don't really like commenting on things like uh, to do with uh, subsidies because it, it doesn't affect me and it's just not my place to, to speak on it but I do believe that if we're going to be promoting farming and stuff it's just focusing the positives I liked, I really like that phrase it's not about defending what we do it's about promoting what we do that was a great phrase actually I'm going to use that one and pretend it's mine see it was the dairy ninja that gave you <laughs> so it's all fine let's be positive okay I'm not a moaning farmer I never have been I've taken the challenge on and absolutely listened to the signals and you know I took it on the chin and, when, and I took it personally farmers aren't any good at business and so I, I became good at business and I, I've invested and I've turned the thing around. But I can still tell you, it's really hard. It's really hard to make money. And we shouldn't deny that. And that's not moaning. It's just really hard to make money. And I've got, I've, I take subsidy, I get about 130,000 quid a year and I need every single penny of it because I've invested and I've got 20 year debt because I've invested to meet compliance to increase my production, to be uh, technically brilliant, because that's what you need to be. You need to be technically efficient, technically excellent. And I've done all of those things. And the compliance is getting tougher and tougher and tougher. And the value I'm still getting, relatively speaking, the same milk price and, and the pig price. And with the greatest respect, I was, I, having done it, well, my, my grandfather was extremely successful, built up from nothing, and then I had to rebuild the castle. So it's much harder to knock a castle down and then rebuild it. Get rid of all the historic nonsense. You can't even, you, you, everything to you is fresh. And, and I'm not knocking at all. I'm not, what you're doing is amazing. But for an awful lot of people that are farming at the moment, no, and that's totally why I'm agree. saying it needs to be fun, for an awful lot of them it's not, and it's very hard, and they're very worried about the future because there's no vision as to what it's going to be like. 
And yeah, we could do a whole bunch of people maybe to leave industry and make some space for, for, for new folk who can give new ideas and put new life into our industry. But there is no doubt when you go to negotiate that milk price, and I do it on a, on a monthly business, it's extremely hard to get money out of the market. And in the milk market, the world global supply just needs to move 3 or 4% supply and demand. And it makes it for a good year to a terrible year. At the moment, we're running the country, the world's running 4% under, and milk prices are going up. But they're not going up air like with the speed of inflation of uh, other Just things. on that, I was talking to someone the other day about this, and someone asked me a question or a similar thing like this about... Um, if I was worried about the vegan movement, it was again about this and about you know people moving away from meat and de- But like the way I see it, the world population's just about doubled in the last forty years. Another forty years on from now, where are we going to be as a planet? And the demand, if we keep you know, for example, planting trees and forgetting about food production and worrying more about the environment, which I get, the environment's a serious issue. But if we don't focus on like feeding ourselves, we're only ever going to milk so many cows. And, and produce so much red meat based on the landmass. So hopefully, in the future, 5, 10, 15 years, the farmer will be the hero, and it'll be like, we need you guys producing food. It, it could go that way. It could go that if we do a good job of marketing, and it could it could be about Scotland's, Scotland's farmers being heroes and making some really high-end, really high-quality uh, food that doesn't damage, you know, it's in balance with the environment. At the same time, they're growing nations and... If China and India start to eat the same amount of meat as those countries get richer that we do, then it's kibosh for a lot of us. So there needs to be world balance. We need to really consider the food system. And it is about that. And it does worry me that it is very much driven by very, very powerful capitalist forces. But I tell you what worries me on that, and it's you've all touched on it, we could get really good at this, and, and we will get really good at this. We could have a really positive story to tell we could um, have all the, the, the compliance with all the rules and regs that we need to. At the end of the day, it all really comes down to what the consumer can afford to pay. We're hearing now about people being plunged into fuel poverty and just the, the cost of living squeeze out there. Where do we go with that? It's a, it's a difficult thing to go and, and, and promote ourselves and try and sell ourselves to people who effectively can't afford to buy us. Or buy from us, sorry. Yeah, so that's, it is a huge conundrum. I would say that looking at it kind of from a historical perspective and where we are now, we are where we are with food prices, partly, you know, historically coming from the war, the way they've been subsidised. We should have long before now made a disconnect there in that people don't, you know, I think they say it's 10% of your disposable income is food and if we pay, if it's any more than that there's going to be you know rioting in the streets because people people see it as qualified food in that percentage and they don't want to pay anymore but the reality is i think that and i'm not saying you already don't you know don't want to don't cheat don't stop subsidies i just think we've got to be smarter on how we subsidize and make the connection with food and make people value food and put it at the heart of what what people are living with. Yeah, Neil's just told us that the return on, on support on a hectare of wheat going for spirit could pay for X number of nurses' salaries. You know, even if Neil's figures were, were a bit kind of 
back of the envelope type thing. Um, sorry, Neil, but you, you did almost say that yourself. You know, there is a return there for for government to invest. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm just saying I'm just saying it's how you cut your cloth and the policies that we put in place going forward. You know, whether it be you know across across the board and acknowledging what certain farmers are doing is you know it's just it, it goes you know the calculator as it stands goes un- unacknowledged and I think that that this is the opportunity to change that turn it on its head when I first started on this road it was all about you know we've got poor land it's unproductive you know we've got sheep on it they shouldn't be there you know and actually you know now we're in a place where Scotland should be really looking at itself you know in a way that and I think people's perceptions have completely changed you know in terms of how we create and 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 steward our lands to be to, to be guardians of the assets that you farmers own or tenant farmers own or, you know, what they do on their land. And I think we're in a place where that can, that can happen. And as Rory said, for a long time, maybe we're not quick enough to act on that. And if we don't act on it quite soon, we could find ourselves in a place where other people are continuing to own the assets that we should be stewarding or valuing. Um, coming back to consumers, it is, we've got a lot of work to do. You know, Ireland's Ireland hasn't lost that connection, but whereas Scotland, we've, we just, you know, our, our urban populations really, the lens has only just started to really through the pandemic to really turn. Even then, it's a conundrum again, because it's it's a very middle class thing to say, you know, oh, I'm going to pay for this for my food and blah, blah. You know, there are certain people who, who possibly, you know, who can't afford, but I think that, again, policy can change that if we, you know, if our public sector in, in terms of, what we pay for our food or, or where we choose to source it from, that has a value and that can also come into play as well. We are at a turning point, but that turning point's been moving quite slowly for quite some time. And I think we have to, we really have to get our acts together. I, I, I totally agree. And I'm, if they took my support away, um, I'm, you know, by all means, but uh, do it in such a way that my business uh, has an opportunity at very least to survive going forward. And... I think the real problem is that there's no vision at all at the moment of what it will look like after. It's uncertainty that's driving us. There, is, there, there appears to be no real vision or leadership as to how it's going to go. We can't get behind a national policy because there isn't one. So that needs to happen soon because all the time we're asleep on the job, somebody else is going to take a market share and the price of food is global. So whether people can afford it or not, if we are not here and we've covered the whole place in trees, do not think for a minute that the, food, the people will have any say in the price of food. There's a few enough, little enough produce produced in Scotland for it to actually be able to be used and used well and to fit a world high value market. I have to say, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, I think, and I've been saying this for a long time and I do bang on about it, we should have a national food strategy map where we know where money, the money that we're doing, that we're investing, our public money is being used in such a way that we have, we have a network that can take our primary produce, have it converted and, you know, and be sold locally. We just, we don't have a vision for that. And I, I'm, I'm, I, I firmly believe that's the way, you know, in terms of local markets, local miles, and, and we've got the potential to do that. It's just got to be a will. Neil, you wanted to come in on that. I was just, I was just going to come in and agree with with Rory and 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 Marion as as well. Now that she's spoken a little more, because somebody will fill that vacuum, you know, as we're waiting for a decision. And and 
as we've all pointed out, it's constant investment farming. You know, you're constantly having to try and keep your business moving and you're struggling to know just exactly where to point that investment because there's no direction at the moment and you think, well, I don't want to take it down a certain channel and find that that's then going to be penalised in a certain way. So I think at the moment, and the uncertainty, I would I would say more than the weather, more than the weather in the market, it's actually everybody's sort of asking, well, where are we going with this? You know, there are, people are really worried about the future of carbon and environmental and and I think we have to, you know, they say about trees, putting the right tree in the right place. Well, I actually think farming's about that. It's about putting the right crop or the right animal in the right place. And Scotland has an environment over its whole area to put all the right things in all the right place. Now, people have to decide, is that actually what they want? You know, do they want food production that's homegrown and they're prepared to accept that that is being done here and that's what the money is going towards? Or do we just want bog standard, unregulated or, or lower standard cheap food? You know, we have to decide what we want our public to eat because the health implications to that will knock on all the way through the chain. It won't, you know, it'll then affect your hospitals and all these other things. You know, the the, the benefits of healthy food, I don't think are maybe recognised quite as much as as they could be. You know, that was the point I tried to make to Mary Goujon when she was here. I said, this is the east coast of Scotland. You know, I'm in the southeast. I'm very lucky I have deep, rich soils here. This is where you have to have production. And, and if you keep making my farm smaller by margins and, and EFA and then, you know, I cover crop here and this and that and take ground out of production, I'm not efficient anymore. I've made massive changes to my business over the years to make it more efficient. And it's been eroded by government policy, not because the market doesn't want what I produce. It's because the government wants some of my ground and, and it's making me inefficient. That's the thing I'm most threatened by at the moment. You know, I, I, can only, I can only do so much to my business. I'm really interested to hear that, Neil, because I would have almost, I was going to come at you with a question, again, market focused. You know, you are part of, you're at the, 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 the start of one of Scotland's most successful chains. You know, if you look at it from the point of view of your malting barley going into a whiskey bottle and then being sold all over the world, that's a long established export trade, a long established earner that is kind of immune to the fact that, you know, and, and, and I, I don't use this lightly, but is immune to the fact that consumers in this country might have less available spend in their pocket. You know, it's a it's been a long established trade. And yet, you know, you're still sitting here and you're getting, as you said, probably the same for your barley as, as maybe your father was 20 years ago or whatever. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I could, I suppose it, it might be slightly controversial, but, you know, I would... I would like a, a commitment and it has been tried in the past, you know, the not in the spirit campaign and, and things where there was uh, there was an actual commitment to Scotch barley, Scottish barley being in, in malting into, into whiskey, that there was a certain percentage and they say, you know, you can't do it, you might have a bad harvest. But, you know, I was sort of comparing it to the Champagne region, you know, when they have a bad harvest, there's less bottles, you know, they don't then say, oh, well, well, we'll buy a whole load of grapes in from somewhere else and just call it champagne. You know, I, I think we maybe don't stick up for ourselves maybe quite enough and say, well, look, we, you know, that would make such a massive difference to our industry to have that backing behind it. It would put that kind of 
baseline in. And the same with homegrown protein. You know, that's another thing I'm, I feel very strongly about as well. And, and I would like to see a commitment on that as well. You know, even just reinstating the protein payment that we used to get a long time ago. You know, that's that kind of thing could encourage guys like myself. I've always grown protein, but there's lots of people around here, you know, who have dabbled and then gone back out. And, you know, that nudge would make a massive difference. And so I, I, I think I think the whiskey thing, yes, we... We, I suppose the saying is price takers, you know, we are price takers and we, we find it very difficult to get our value through that product, you know, because they say, well, we can bring it in or we can do other things. But, but you know, it, it, it's the risk reward, actually, that, that I find difficult with the malt and barley. And I still grow it, so I, I'm part of the problem, probably. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just, you know, some years your, your neighbour growing just bog standard feed, getting a higher a higher tonnage and and you know you're taking all the risk and you're maybe you know risking rejections and having to make sure it's certain quality and things and you're 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 some years not getting any more for that you know and and i think it's something that we we champion quite a way through the chain like that should have a better reward rory you'll come in on that i'm sure we've chatted about malting barley before and and i know you're all about getting a better slice of the pie from further up the chain. And and also, I think you probably want to come in on the protein thing there as well, because that's probably a, part of, a big part of your business. Yeah, I, I, I can make comment on all those things. What I think, though, is about we need to be relevant, and we need to make ourselves relevant to the people and to government. Now, Nicola Sturgeon champions the well-being economy. One of the key things that drives people's well-being is their health. One of the big drags on the economy at the moment is people's health. And as our nation gets fatter and older, it's going to become even more difficult to sustain our economy. And if our, if our health is getting worse, our well-being gets worse. What is absolutely at the root of good health is good food. And food is effectively medicine. And there are plenty of studies done, and I can't remember the numbers, but if you could change and improve the diet the cost of diabetes to the NHS comes down. The cost of obesity-related disease comes down. You attach the relevance of what British-Scottish farming does to that cost and to that well-being of our nation, then you build a nation from the ground up, literally from farming up, to having good well-being. Because it's our food system that, I argue, it is our food system that's driving our economy. So we need to make ourselves relevant and if they think we're relevant, then you'll get a payment for your malt and barley or your protein. Because if that protein can be shown that it's relevant to society to have little white things that can convert hillside poor forage into high quality protein without the need for soya, then you start to become relevant. So high quality protein on the hills of Scotland, and high quality fat and protein from the fields of southwest Scotland in the way of milk. And if the chocolate that Marion makes, or the confectionery that Marion makes, is made with Scottish sugar beet and fat and milk from southwest Scotland, and all of that's relevant, then you can start to add value. But all the time, we're making arguments, and, we're, and if you said it, Cammy, we're moaning. Well, you've got to deliver relevance and positivity together. And it, I, I genuinely think the food system is at the key and there's been no discussion, in fact, there's very little discussion about how we will deliver this well-being economy. You start with your land and your food system. 
and, and you can't have a real, it can't be it can't be wise to cover your good land with and not grow good Scottish food in it while we leave um, a hillside unattended. As a wee kind of aside on that, I um, I've just been doing some work um, looking at a, a, a business. Um, an agricultural business in East Lothian that was started in, in the year 1782. And that business um, was started at the time where there was massive improvements going on in Scottish agriculture. You know, it was the time of agriculture enlightenment. And one of the things I stumbled upon was just, you know, that was 1782, but just prior to that was when potatoes first were grown in the fields of East Lothian. That was the first, you know, field-scale potato crops. And the line that was came out of it, now I can't quote it word for word, but it was something like, and there was great delight for the peasants. Now, obviously we don't talk about the, the, the peasants in that sense now, but the point being, it was relevant. You know, suddenly at that point, what was actually happening on the farms became, as Rory would say, relevant to the population. And the population stopped having to, you know, grow on the old runrig system and and and. And, and try and, you know, feed themselves, they were able to then go and take other professions to do other things. Now, you know, that was a, a huge relevance because at that time, Scottish farmers became the heroes. That's 240 years ago, I suppose. So it's a bit of a, a bit of a climax to go back to that. But maybe, maybe, maybe with YouTube, it can come again, Cammy, and we can start to be relevant and heroes again. Well, I'm just, when I was saying about like farmers being heroes again, part of me is like, yeah, that'd be good. But part of as well, it'd be quite sad that it would almost be through desperation that the world realises actually we're running short of food here. So I hope you enjoyed listening to our distinguished guests as much as I did. But there's more to come. Join us next time when we'll come back with part two of our guest evening. So that's it from me and bye for now. <laughs>